You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz. Hi, I'm Ariel Anderson, and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks with Tony show. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Ariel Anderson. She's the author of Playing to Lose, How a Jehovah's Witness Became a Submissive BDSM Model. Ariel, how are you? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you because you wrote to me and to my shame, I'd not heard of you. And then I looked you up and was like, oh my goodness, there's a whole book I didn't know about that tells our story. And there's a bloody film of it on Amazon. So I went and bought the book, watched the film. And oh, now I have you. more questions. You're welcome. It's it's a fantastic book. I hope you got a really good response to it because I've never, honestly, I've never read a book that expresses the horniness of teenage boys so <laughs> perfectly. <laughs> Repressed teenage boys. <laughs> yeah, I just feel like I understand teenage boys in a way that I didn't before. And that's not because I've not spoken to lots of men it was just it was such a vivid portrayal and uh of course i related so much to the incredible repression that yeah. we were experiencing as well um so yeah i loved it so it's a great really great treat to talk to you oh thank you yeah that's um yeah that, it's interesting because when i found out uh, my friend was like oh the, he sent me a link of yours and was like do you know her she's a Jehovah's Witness too? And I'm like, one, all Jehovah's Witnesses don't know each other, dude. It's, you know, it's just like, it's like saying, so, you know, oh, my friend's in California. Do you know him? I'm like, uh, there's like, you know, uh, how many millions? But um, but now, don't you think, I kind of want to know all of the ex-Jehovah's Witnesses, especially the ones who've written books, because there are a few of us now, and this is very exciting to me. I agree. And the, the, um, some of the books are pretty bad. <laughs> like I'm just, I, and that was like early in my early days of writing Jesus jerk. I was reading, um, I was reading some memoirs from ex Jehovah's witnesses. And I'm just like, these suck. Like this is oh, really, really bad storytelling. And this is just why this is only like the, the audience was only for ex Jehovah's witnesses. Like no, it, no one else is going to get it. And when I was writing, yeah. I wasn't writing for ex Jehovah's Witnesses. I was writing for me and for the like to get into the writing community. And then the ex Jehovah's Witness thing was a sidebar. It's just like, yeah, you're gonna get this yeah. too, but I want the whole world to like feel like a Jehovah's Witness for six hours and you know yeah. or whatever. Yeah, I think you you did a great job of um, expressing the the level of fear of being disfellowshipped because mm -hmm. I wasn't aware, like in my Jehovah's Witness congregation. There weren't many people who got disfellowship, but in yours, it sounded like a constant revolving door. It sounded horrific. I mean, yeah, I oh, yeah. I didn't know that ever happened. I was absolutely horrified for you. And obviously it wasn't just you. It was you and your friends. Like this was the world you were living in. And it, it, it kind of made me realize that clearly Jehovah's Witness congregations did vary somewhat. And yeah, yours sounded like a really horrible place. I mean, I'm not saying mine was nice, but... Yours sounded awful, and I'm so sorry because it, I must say, it sounds like you've had a kind of rougher ride of the kind of the, I guess, the post-traumatic experience of leaving that I feel like mostly I'm I'm pretty okay. And it, it sounds like 
you've really struggled because your experience was so bad. Well, I, I, I was, yeah, I also believed like a hundred percent. And then even into my twenties, I believed like it was the truth, but I was like, they're getting something wrong, but Jehovah will correct them. And it wasn't until I was in my late twenties that I was like, no, there's something hugely wrong and I need to step away. But I still in the back of my mind was like, I still think Armageddon's coming, but I don't think the oh, Jehovah's wow. Witnesses know exactly what's going to happen. And everyone's going to be like, I'm like, the, you know, God is not going to be worse than Stalin and Hitler put together. That, that just, that just, I'm just like, how are you people buying into this? That's terrible. You're like hoping for like, not genocide, but human side. It's just like, yeah. and so, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. so when I, that, it, and it's just, it sounds easy to people outside. If you're outside of the belief system, of course you wouldn't believe that, but it's just like, no, no. When that's all you believe, that's your life. And then all of a sudden you step out of it and you go, and you kind of like take an objective look and go, oh my God, this is bad. It almost yeah. makes me understand Nazis. Cause I'm just, because at some point that it's just, they're going along with it. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, oh yeah, because yeah. this is a thing, and it and it's brainwashing, and people just don't yeah. understand how manipulative or how manipulated we can be. I don't, I don't know if it was the same for you. Did you fully believe for a long time? Or? Um, I did fully believe it. So I was I was born into the Jehovah's Witnesses, and so of course that makes it very hard not to believe it because right. you know the adults in your life believe it all of your formative years are spent in that religion. So I did 100% believe it. I was really frightened of Armageddon and I was very frightened that I wasn't gonna make it through Armageddon. I, I had a feeling my family were better than me so they'd probably get through and I wouldn't. And that was a thought that really kind of obsessed me from about- I the had the same the thought, by the way. It's, it's well, intense. It's a, it's a pretty normal thought probably, isn't it? Because everyone else seems well behaved, but you know what's inside your own head and you know you're not perfect and it's a, really frightening idea. And I, I, the one thing that I remember being quite young, sitting at the front in the Kingdom Hall and thinking, it does seem surprising that this religion is so small. There are so few Jehovah's Witnesses really worldwide. It does seem strange that I'm lucky enough to be have been, have been born into this one religion where everyone's going to survive. Like, it seems a bit unlikely and I'm quite, I'm sort of proud of eight year old me that I had a just the glimmer of, well, that would be strange, wouldn't it? If God created all these people and then only wanted to save this tiny percentage. So, but no, I did believe it. And so when we came out, when I was 13, my parents eventually joined a regular Christian evangelical church. And I went along with that. So possibly that was maybe a little easier for me than well, I know your book's not strictly a memoir, but I I don't think you joined another religion when you left, did you? No, um, well, I mean, and I didn't, you know, I was, I left like, I did the book, well, the book is, you know, like for me, what happens in the book is compressed, like 10 years of my life compressed into like one, because right. if I wrote the 10 years, it would be really boring, but let's compress yeah, yeah, yeah. it all into one character finding all these epiphanies within a year and then it's just and then it makes me look way cooler than i am yeah right? it does it's great <laughs> so but it took me a lot longer yes yes so i i feel as though going from one religion to another although i now think oh for goodness sake like if you're going to leave one religion just leave like leave religion that's what i feel like i do now but i think it is a little bit gentler because mm -hmm. we stopped believing in armageddon 
and living in paradise on earth and we started believing in oh well okay so there won't be armageddon but there's heaven which is a little obviously it's a bit of a gentler way of letting go of that belief than having yeah. to come to terms like atheism all in one go but i remember it took me a few years i remember saying to a christian friend of mine well i think i still believe in paradise on earth because you know that's it's a very frightening thing to let go of the idea of eternal life when you've honestly not believed you're going to have to consider death um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah and so if you would... and if you die as a jehovah's witness it's even luckier for you because then you then in the in that belief system it's just like oh you'll be resurrected and even though you had lustful thoughts and masturbated god will forgive you and you can just rise at armageddon or, or rise from the resurrection i used to think yeah. this is this is one of my weird thoughts i had in my head that i one of the thoughts was i'm not going to make it through armageddon but let me help as many people as i can make it so that's why i preached all the time i was Aww. trying to help other people and i was just like but you know i know i'm not making it and then the other thought i had is like well if i do make it they're going to round up all of us masturbators and they're going to put us on like this thing and they're going to be like we're going to be punished somehow but but we might make i might squeak through but with tons of humiliation once everyone is uh, happy and scurrying along with their wives and husbands as we sit in these cages. And I just, I, oh, no. and that was like, that was my utopia of like, that's how I'll make it through Armageddon. And you kind of like, and you just added that to kind of torture yourself basically, which is, I mean, awful. And I, it does occur to me that like, I remember my sister who's four years older than me, she had a boyfriend in the Jehovah's Witnesses and he was, um, really really horrified because he was masturbating um yeah. and that, so that's the first time i was aware that i had i didn't know about masturbation at that point but i heard the kind of adults talking about it and yeah. realized oh my god he masturbates um and now i think gosh it's the cruelest doctrine to tell people to tell teenagers that they shouldn't be masturbating because i think from from talking to men i mean if you don't masturbate you just have wet dreams anyway so it's clearly like your body actually is telling you to do this testosterone is like bouncing all over you and and it's just like if you're not gonna you know it just it's mind-blowing to think that but I, I i know that they've lightened up a lot on that doctrine since i was oh, gone yeah, it, like sad. at my time, it was like a, masturbation is homosexuality, and you're gonna die. Oh, yeah. And yeah. then, and then now it's just like, well, you know, it happens, but just try not to do it again. And I'm just like, you know, if I had that, I might have stayed in. Thank God I had <laughs> yeah. the other one. <laughs> <laughs> because I mean, it also occurs to me the people who are making this up, it's men. Yeah, and surely all men. I'm not saying that women don't masturbate, but clearly there is a period in in teenage boys lives where they really seem to do nothing but masturbate and so all these yeah. men know what that was like um like i didn't actually like i hadn't figured out masturbation as a teenager at all so i felt like great because i i didn't need to do this thing uh, <laughs> I, I i have found tell me if i'm wrong i'm i have found that like women when they reach their 30s and 40s is when they start sexually peaking and then all of a sudden that's when that's when all the discovery happens and yeah. And, and it's just yeah. like, <laughs> the, and those poor wives of those elders who, you know, are just like, you know, I, I remember, I just remember this one, one elder was very uh, specific. He wasn't sure if foreplay was okay when they had sex. And mm -hmm. I'm like, 
what do you do? Just come in for a landing? I mean, it's just, you know, looking back, it's just like, open up, I'm coming in. Were you told, we were told that oral sex was definitely wrong. Yeah. Yep. Oral sex led to homosexuality, but there was a caveat because I, I actually did become a ministerial servant and then I had access to some of the elders. And oh. so the caveat was you can do it, but you can't tell anybody because that would be promoting oral sex. So you had to be secretive about it. And then I was married at the time because I was married. I was in a Jehovah's Witness marriage. Oh, wow. And then, she, and then she would be like, should we be doing this? And, you know, and I'm like. You know, this when, when she was giving oral, she was questioning it. When she was getting oral, she wasn't questioning a thing. Okay. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think I was just like, "Wait, well, you know, are you t- one? Are you tired? Or are you just putting some Jehovah Witness belief in there? So you, because you're tired." <laughs> oh, that's amazing. We've been told there was this again. I think a lot of the stories we were told were kind of apocryphal, but we okay. were there was a letter that was written by a Jehovah's Witness man who I think he'd got. I think he had some sort of terrible injury and his his cock didn't work. Um, and he was asking, like, can I give my wife pleasure with either oral or, or maybe digital penetration or something? And they yeah. and they said no. That's um, nuts. Just why not? Why? Yeah. yeah. In what way would that possibly serve God's purpose? Like, that's just so cruel. And that's the thing, because it's just like we're in the human condition. And what blows my mind, and you know, this thought has been coming up to me in the last year or so, is all their books and all their stuff is like, you know, uh, one day you will you you will live forever in paradise. Happiness is coming. They'll be happy. You'll be happy in paradise. And they keep bringing up that word happy in paradise. And and when you really think about what happiness, as I've like grappled with, you know, just being a human, it's just like what is happiness. It's just, and and it's a lot of and I and I think this is I don't know if this is pushed so much. Are you're in Wales? Is that where you're at? Yes, yeah. but I, I grew up in in England, so okay. I was in an English congregation. Yeah, in um, because because in in America they really you know it's the pursuit of happiness, right? Is kind yeah. of like the thing, and so yeah. but all but I know I know so many people that are like, yeah, I'm working really hard, so when I retire. I could be happy. So when I retire, I can go to this beach. So when I retire, I can write a book. And this, and they're thinking like their happiness is going to come when they're 65. And then then I just see over and over again, nobody goes to any beaches. If they do, they're bored in a week because there's only so much tequila and sand you can take. And and then you're like, wait, I'm alone with my thoughts. (laughs) It's just like, yeah. It's um yeah. so the idea it I I prefer the struggle because we're human. We want to struggle and just like struggle and what's cool, like writing a book. That is that just it's a pain in the ass. I bang my head against the wall, but how lucky am I to do this? Yeah. Dude. Yeah. I think one of the things that I am actually grateful for, although I think it's a terrible religion, I do think that growing up in the Jehovah's Witnesses, I'd be interested to see if you think the same because of all this delayed gratification, I mean, it's quintessentially a religion of, you know, just hang on a few more years and then you'll get the reward. Um, Having rejected that idea and having come out of it, I have a really strong feeling that I've got one life and it's a finite length and I must do the things I love and love the people I want to love as, as well as I can because there's one chance. And I find that, 
very liberating. I I know that for some ex Jehovah's Witnesses, it's not that positive. Do you relate to that feeling at all? A bit, but I still don't want to die. Okay, you know, it's like I, it, it's like I sit there and I go, you know, it's, I mean, well, it was funny. I I, I think I got, I had COVID like about a year and a half, a year maybe it was almost two years ago. I really okay. thought I was going to die. Like oh, I was no. just, I, and, and it's just, I should have taken myself to the hospital, but I was just like writhing in my apartment and it's just like, <laughs> they'll find my cold dead body in a week and a half, whatever. And I was like, and, and as I was in my fever, I was like, well, I've done a lot of what I wanted to do in life. And I do have yeah. my next book on my hard drive that maybe I, that can get published, okay. um, you know, after I die. And then I was just like, yeah, I, I'm fine. I'm fine with death. Death will work out. And then the next morning when the fever broke, I was like, what the hell was I thinking? Death is not cool. I don't want to die. I got so many more books and I got so much more to say, you know? So it's, um, you know, it's like, I'd rather not die. Like people hurt me, but I, yeah, I, it's just, but I think the human body, as I see people get older and the human body just like breaks down, like even when they start hitting a hundred you know, there's, yeah. there's, it's just, there's pain going on. There's, yeah. and there's the pain of all their peers that have died. So if their peers yeah. didn't die and if pain wasn't going on, I think they would, there would be a more of a kick to stick around. But the human condition is like, yeah. you know, I mean, I think Dick Van Dyke, he's still alive. All, all his crew, you know, a lot of them are long gone. And it's just like, what a cool guy. But at the same time, it's a tragedy because he's got to relate to those young 80 year olds who don't know nothing. Yeah. They yeah. know nothing. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, I want to complete life. I want, I want to have done the things that I want to do, but I feel I, it's easy for me to say when I don't think I'm dying right now, but I, I feel like it's far preferable. Cause I honestly, I don't know if you felt the same, but the idea of eternal life on earth, it sounded quite frightening to me. It sounded a bit overwhelming because because even seven or eight year old me was aware that if it really went on forever, in the end, you would have had every possible conversation you could possibly have with every possible person. And you'd just be visiting the same places over and over again. And and like eternity, I had a sense that it might be too much and there was no way of getting out. Did you consider that? Well, I may have, but as I look back, as like uh, talking to me now, where we're at at this moment, yeah. I feel like we have, we, we, we as people and we as humans kind of tend to have the same conversations anyway, you know, it's, after, <laughs> it's, it's just, we, we, it, it, even though we try to be original, we, it's, it's just like, Hey, how you doing? I'm fine. Well, it's hot, you know? Oh yeah, it's hot. And it's just, and I was at the cafe earlier today, uh, work, working on my book and um, I don't know Spanish that well, but I know enough where I know the, um, I heard all the weather because they were just talking about the weather because it's hot in Los Angeles right now, you know, it's caliente, you know, and I'm just sitting there going, oh, so they're talking about the weather. It's just like, how much are we um, e even getting by in another language? You can get by with uh, minimal vocabulary because a lot of stuff is repeated over and over and over again you know uh -huh. so imagine an eternity of that then that's even I, worse. I i don't know i'm, I'm i'd still be down for an eternity because <laughs> i want to read all the philosophy books i want to you okay. know there's, there's 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 a lot of there's a lot of I, I there's books in my place that i can't get to because there's always new books coming out so that's i'm an insatiable fair. reader and i'm just like what's yeah. next what's next i feel like but at the same time, 
Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know because, um, well, and then I, I used to watch, do you ever, did you ever see the movie series and the TV series Highlander? Yes. Yes. Oh my God. That blew my mind. Cause I was like, I want to be a Highlander. All you got to do is not get your head cut off. Yeah. 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 And then you're good. <laughs> there can be only one, but they added. Did that sound preferable to you than like the new system, Paradise on Earth? Well, I mean, when, when I was young, no, Paradise on Earth sounded great. And when I was young, I knew I was going to get the perfect wife and I was going to have the perfect kids uh-huh. and they were going to go frolic through our perfect garden. And, you know, and, and we we're going to have perfect sex. I had no idea what perfect sex was. You know, I, I was still a virgin when I was thinking these things. I was just, <laughs> I didn't even know there was more than just, you know, missionary and penetration at that point. I was just like, that's going to be awesome. <laughs> I had figured out that there was penetration, but I didn't know there was any movement involved. So I thought. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> the Mormons call that soaking. Have you heard of that term? <gasps> what? No. no, so so the Mormons. I just I so it so it's called soaking, and they and it's their way of getting by, not having like they don't have sex. They just put it in and don't move, and they call it soaking. And I'm just sitting there going, one, that's like really erotic. I want to try that. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like tantric sex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> And are they allowed to do that? I don't think they're allowed to do it, but it's one of those little negotiations like with area. with God, right? Yeah, it's just. Yeah. I mean, I used to pray. It's. I just I was listening to this comedian who talked about how when he was a teenager and like he's like, oh yeah, I used to pop off like four or five times, you know, I just I couldn't stop, and I was like, I was never able to do that because every time afterwards I would have to pray to Jehovah about my sinful thoughts. There was no, there was, and even though I was like still saluting from my, you know, pelvic region, there was, yeah. I was in, I was in deep prayer going, I shouldn't have looked at that Sears catalog oh. and I shouldn't have. You know, yeah. Like, yeah. Like, I just, I felt so sorry for you. You expressed that so well. And <laughs> it made me. You're like almost too well. Like it actually happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think an account of being a Jehovah's Witness has made me as angry as those bits in your book, really. I suppose the other thing that made me really angry is I read Ali Miller's memoir. I don't know if you've read it. It came out last year. No, I haven't, because I was supposed to have her on the show, and then I just kept going back and forth, and I was just, I was like, who's your publicist? It just, it kind of went into the nowhere, and the thing about, the thing about, people don't realize about this is I'm pitched like all the time. I'm like, I, yeah. I can take maybe 5% or 10% of the people that. Oh my goodness. Thanks yeah. It's just, thank you for having me then. I didn't oh, realize. Yeah. No, it's, it's like, I, people assume that like publishers aren't sending me books all the time and I'm telling them no, 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 no. And going, oh, okay, wow. that, one, that one. Oh, well, I'm sorry, but I'm also glad for you that people want you that much. That's very nice. It's it's fine. It's just I think people don't realize that. So if I'm like trying to get to someone and I'm like on a third email and I'm getting no reply, it's just like I really yeah. I will, I so I want you, but I don't have time for this because th- this sure. also kind of signifies that it might be a no show, which I've had a couple Absolutely. times. And I'm just like, yeah, you know, there's other people I can get on here, guys. So I, I've yeah. learned I've learned not to fish. It's just like so, so, so the, the fish jumps into the boat, and I'm like, you're in because yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just don't have time. But the thing about the thing that made me really angry in her book was she was in a Jehovah's Witness marriage. And it 
I hadn't known because because we left the Jehovah's Witnesses before I was th of that age. I didn't oh. know how the whole marriage thing really worked. I'd never known a Jehovah's Witness who got married, so I'd not seen them do that. And I mean, it basically sounds like institutional sexist abuse, basically. I mean, the, the way she was treated by her husband and the elders who backed him up made me... Oh. Oh, just horrified. And so it, that made me very angry. But but your account made me similarly just it made me want to like reach into the book and just shake people. Um, because the, the, the amount of control and the, the hierarchical nature of the Jehovah's Witnesses is that, you know, if you have some doubts, you're not allowed to express them that just right. expressing them is sin. And going and reading up on the subject is sin. Uh, if just... you do it outside of them, which blows my yeah. mind. Yeah. When I was, when I got married, I told uh, my wife at the time, I said, look, I don't believe in this headship stuff. I, I, oh. I, I was like, I, I believe we're equal. I will never, cause her, her brothers would be like, they would just go, we're moving. And they would move to another city without even like, um, telling their wow. wives about it and they had kids and i'm just like that is gross to me so i so immediately yeah. i set the standard i'm like we're equal that we talk yeah. about everything i'm never gonna do anything like that to you and then towards the end of the marriage because i i left the jw's four years into our marriage and i told her i just can't go anymore i didn't leave in a, in a grand way i was always the confuser so i was just like i'm just gonna write and work on these other things that just interest me when I left, I wasn't like, oh, my God, I'm going to go have sex with everyone and do all the drugs I can. It's just like, no, I just, just gently. Yeah. And she said, can you please not tell anyone? And I said, yeah. yes, which was very codependent of me. And also I was it, there's a lot that I've been through in therapy since then. But uh -huh. another another nine years of marriage after that. And she was ache. She was just like, I wish you, I wish you would make decisions for us. I wish you would be like, I wish you can come to the uh, to the kingdom hall and like, you know, you you could be that. You're just not being the head of the household. And she kept saying all this stuff. And I'm just like, where is this coming from? I I realize now. I think it was she wanted me to kind of tell her to stop going. I think she was looking oh, for that wow. caveat. And I was like, and I was like, no, I'm driving. Yeah. You need to go. I'll drive you to the kingdom hall. And then I got to go do some errands and I'll come get you back. I was very just like, I'm not going to disrespect anything about what's going no. on. And it just, and I think that was mess. And she was just, I think she wanted me to put the hammer down and go, you're out. So she can go, yeah, my abusive husband's making yeah. me leave. But inside she's yeah. like, yes. <laughs> Did you break up with each other? Oh, she she she'd been cheating on me for a while. It's so it it it's so absurd. Okay, the marriage like a Jehovah's Witness wife. A, a total Jehovah's Witness oh, uh, move. But I had just <laughs> finished the draft of Jesus Jerk that became the draft that I started submitting, and so she went. And so her story to the Jehovah's Witnesses was: he wrote an apostate book. He's spiritually abusive. Yeah, yeah. He wrote an apostate book, and they came after. <laughs> yeah. They came after me like crazy Scientologists, saying that they it would have been better if I died. Please don't put that book out. You're gonna it's gonna be hard for us. I'm pre. It, it was just. I'm like, dude, you were drunk. You were blackout drunk at my house like two weeks ago wow. in the bathroom, and these people were you know because they would come party and use me because i had all this access to filmmakers and bands so it was just like tony was the, the was the okay guy to go do these things because yeah. i wasn't doing yeah. anything wrong i just wasn't in 
And then all of a sudden, these people just turned on me like it was body snatchers. I'm like, wow. Did that make you feel kind of powerful or were you too damaged at that point no i was i was so gutted it was it everything hit me like at once um and everyone was really it was almost like i couldn't celebrate when i got an agent and all this stuff because i was i was in the i was in the middle of a divorce where somebody was somebody and the whole organization was trying to ruin me at every single level. Right, to... okay. Oh, I'm sorry that that must have really tainted the experience. Like my yeah. experience was so, my experience of writing it, it felt so cathartic and so empowering. And then, you know, getting an agent. Oh, amazing. And Isn't it? Well, is it? When did you find out you were getting an agent? <laughs> so I was really optimistic about it because I'd written the book. Yeah. Um, and I, I'd not written a book before and it seemed to go really well. And I thought, okay, now I'll write to an agent and they'll want me. Um, and I thought it's a feminist book. I'll write to some agents who are looking for feminist literature. Awesome. I found loads, loads of young female agents looking for like underrepresented voices. And I wrote to them all and none of them wanted to read the book. And I well, was you're very white. Pleased. I was like, oh, I was so hurt. <laughs> And like, I'm a sex worker. I thought they'd love my marginalized voice. They were not interested in my marginalized voice at all. Um, so then eventually I found exactly the type of agent I should have realized I'd be able to get, which was like yeah. an older man who thought it was an interesting story, like a sort of well-established establishment kind of agent. Yeah. Um, not a feminist <laughs> at all. I'm yeah. sorry as I know. Well, I mean, and even even as your bio, if your bio, you know, said, uh, and this always drives me nuts, but if your bio said uh, feminist sex worker, Ariel Anderson, it, 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 the adjectives before, it's just like, no, writer, that's it. I want to be in a story. It, it's just, yeah. I, I, if there's too many adjectives in front, I feel like it's apologizing for bad writing. And it usually is. Yeah, actually, that's a very fair point. I always think if someone says they're an activist, like a political activist, I think if you were really a political activist, you'd say what you stood for. Like, who who do you stand for? Like, do you work for Amnesty International? I always think mm, it, it begins to, I, I'm not very convinced. So same as if someone says they're an educator. I think, well, if you're a real educator, you'd say like, <laughs> where you teach. I don't know. This is very no, exactly No, no. And it's like, because I'm online dating now and I have to swipe oh, left so often on, I'm honest and funny. And I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> Just <laughs> told me right there that you lie and you're not funny. Why do you got to put that? And it, 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 it's that's just like 80% of the time. I'm just going, are you kidding me? You're not, I'm honest and loyal. And I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> so you must have not been loyal for some time that you have to put that because you've been working yes, through this loyalty that. thing. And if someone was really funny, they'd make their profile funny, wouldn't they? That's what right. they do. Just yeah. be funny. Yeah. 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 You don't need to say it then. I know. No, you're absolutely right. So yeah. if I was doing it again, if I was trying to get an agent and a publishing deal again, I, I would obviously I do it very differently um, because I have learned a lot about publishing. I've also learned that I don't know if it's the same in the States. I kind of hope it's not that actually going and meeting people makes a massive difference, which it shouldn't because like your written words are nothing to do with how you present in real life. But I've discovered I'm much better at doing real life than writing emails. Okay, so this is this is because uh, I'm working. I'm at the I'm at the end of my novel right now. My mm -hmm. age, my and I got my agent who uh, did Jesus Jerk. Uh, 
Um, she's also right, she's like oh, she's like oh my god okay you have a new book great I can't wait to read it keep me in Yay! the loop. So um, she sounds the, good. Yeah, I love I love her because she even dumped me because we she dumped me because of the film because we did the because the film made was indie was not going to make any money and she was a, she was against that idea, but I was okay. I was like Eric Stoltz and he really th- he really seems to know the voice I think we got it. Anyway, she was she was right, and I was right. I was I'm, I know I have no ill okay. feelings toward her at all. But, but I I got what I wanted, which was the the I the final cut. I just I, he let me in the process the whole way, and right. the, I adore the final cut. And it's just, and I talked to my other writer friends who had their their life stories made into films, and they're just like, oh god. They made a lot of money, but they were out of the process. And it's just like, yeah, on this one, I need to be in the process after this, give it to someone else. Let them ruin it. I'll take the money. Yeah. Yeah. But, but for uh, this, it's just yeah. it's so personal, isn't it? I don't know why I brought all of that up. Oh, because we were talking about meeting in person. Yes. So yes, yes. I'm going to New York a lot more often right now. And for this and this and I, because I never met my editor of Jesus Jerk and I never had face to face. And I'm really understanding, especially now that everyone's going Zoom. I'm just like, man, when I meet people face to face, just in general, I'm like, there's there's more connection. And this is. And and so I'm just like, I'm going to I'm. And I, and I, you know, I have I have a lot of friends in New York and a lot of writer friends. I'm just like and I got air miles. And so I'm just like, I'm going to New York two to three times a year right now, no matter what. And and it's just like, yeah, just to Good. be there because it's kind of the place to be and, and not in, not in any uh, people call it like networking. And I really hate that term, you know, because it's just like, it doesn't feel authentic. I really, I, every in the, in the literary world, we all love books. We all have an insatiable desire. Even if you're an agent, you didn't get in there. I mean, you did get in there to make a ton of money if, you know, you get to a, a certain level, but you do it for the books because there's a lot quicker money in other areas. So, yes, so the meeting aware. thing, I think, is still very important. What's great about it is most Americans don't do it. So, and, oh, but I'm excited. Yes, yeah, so I'm excited. People won't, they, they, a lot of people have never even met their agent before, which I'm just oh, like, wow. that's great. Get out of my way because I like my agent and like hanging yeah. out with her. So, yeah, I like to take my agent out for afternoon tea. I take my publicist out for afternoon tea as well. Yes. It's such a British thing to do, and I love it. And so, yes. every time so I, I'm a model, I'm still working full time as a model. So, yes. every time I go to London, which is probably once every six weeks, I take one day off and I say to myself, Who would my book like me to have tea with? And uh-huh. then I go and do that. And it's, it's really nice, isn't it? And I didn't know Americans were doing that less than British people but I feel like now that I know that I would approach the agent or the publisher or whoever and say can I come and meet you yeah. because I realize that most people aren't doing that and I, I feel My, like it's and just- I'm always very hands I'm, I always go hey I'm going to be in New York this time and this time are you open because because yeah. I, I don't want to I because I there's other things I got you know I'm gonna go visit other East Coast friends as well in October so it's just like I I gotta go to Philly I gotta meet some other you know friends in general yeah so I'll be here between this time and this time if you're open let's talk 
I don't want to be like, I'm, oh, I want to meet you and I'm going to come out. When is a good time for me to fly out? And all of a sudden you're putting a burden on them. I don't want to put the burden yeah. on them. It's like, no, I'm there. Let's, let's hang. And if, if it works out, great. And if, it, you know, if not great, yeah. and usually it's just like, oh, wait, I'm not being pressured. Yeah. Roll on over. And it's, it's not like there's this big to do. It's just like, I'm just happy to see you. Yeah. And again, you know, clearly you're an actual proper writer. I'm very new to this. But what I'm realizing is that the process of writing is obviously quite solitary, um, at least for me so far. <laughs> me too. Yeah. But then like, <laughs> but then the other half of being a writer, I'm just starting to be invited, you know, to, to do podcasts, but to go to events, yeah. to festivals and, yes. and meet people. So do you get to do that stuff? Yes. It's so like, great. It's like, it's because it's just like, oh my God, you people are as crazy as me. I found you. We're fine. We find each other. You know, a lot of people are idiots too. And you're just like, okay, well, you go over there. But I, but it's a, I got a lot more people that are my people. And it's, and it's just, it's, um, and I just love, I like before I, cause I, I've been doing like interviewing authors for way before I had a book out. And then I, so after I had a book out, then it's just like, oh, it's just, I, you know, they, I, I learned the, uh, how's, how's the release going? Ugh, is usually the answer. And, and before I had a book out, I'd be like, well, that, oh, I'm grateful that, blah, blah. and then I'm the guy that's going, oh, <laughs> it's just because it's just <laughs> like, oh, and it's just, um, I don't know what it is, but even like having a movie, I was like, how is that? Well, it was great, but oh, it's, it's just so much work. Okay. Yes. I think I might, I'm beginning to think I might be like a hideous narcissist because I am really enjoying the, the extra attention. I've started I don't, getting. No, I don't you. think you're a narcissist. I think that's great because I was, enjo- I enjoyed it too. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I was also single at the I time, know which actually worked out really reviews, well. Which I, I understand. What was that? Say that again. I missed the first bit. Oh, I said I was also what single at the I time. I missed the first bit of what you just said. I said when my book came out, I was single oh. at the time. So that also worked out very well. <laughs> <Got you. laughs> yeah. Yes. But like, I'm reading all my reviews because i wrote it i wrote this book for people to read and i want to know what they think yeah. so far I'm very much enjoying that process yeah. i know i should stop before i start getting bad ones because i know that will happen but um i'm just really enjoying the experience of doing a completely different job because i've been a um, bdsm model for 20 years and i kind of know how that works and to try to enter someone else's industry and realize that oh, i don't know how any of this works like, how do i get people to review the book what do i do like what's the best thing i can spend my time doing to to make this work i don't know any of it and it's really fun trying to figure it out so at the moment i'm reading out the reviews in my lingerie for twit on twitter so every time i get one <laughs> what a great you see i'm gonna do that on my next book i'm gonna do read it. my reviews in lingerie on twitter it works really well I yeah. can't see what would go wrong. Do it. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you're, you're a lot, you're a lot prettier than me in lingerie, but they, for me, it would be like, Oh, that that's funny for you. It's, yeah, for you. Awesome. It's like, Oh, that's sexy. And yes, for me, <laughs> for me, they'll be like, Oh my God, that guy's got balls. Yeah. Do <laughs> Literal, it. Literally and figuratively. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah show them. <laughs> Wait, so, um, get BDSM, um, 
I don't know that world that well. Okay. I, I do have some friends that are around it. And mm-hmm. um, but we what it what it's it it seems it seems almost like it's almost it, it, I don't want to compare it to religion. I think I'll compare it more to the right being a writer and like having your tribe. There's there's a tribal yeah. thing. And and yeah. is it it's kind of like that where it's just like, oh wait, you you like to be yeah. tied up in ropes too. We know each other. It's exactly like that because for a lot of people growing up pre-internet, especially of course, including me, um, like I was always aware that any games that involve someone being tied up or punished or captured or any kind of power exchange, basically, I always loved those games and I didn't understand why other kids didn't want to play them all the time. I didn't realize it was sexual because as I said, you know, I figured out sex quite late, but then when I was 16, I suddenly realized, oh no, this is my sexual identity, isn't it? God damn. And it's not acceptable. And it's only me. Um, It didn't, occur to me that there'd be other people at all. Then um, a member of parliament, a a British politician um, died in, he'd obviously been doing some sort of auto asphyxiation thing um, and he killed himself by mistake. And suddenly newspapers were were full of this story saying, you know, he'd been a sadomasochist. And I heard that expression. And I I remember hearing that expression as a kid and it seems so like, yeah, yeah. Weird. Yeah. Sadomasochism. That and that's like so close to Satan and his demons. Yeah, it sounds really bad. <laughs> and also it gives the impression that people are into both, which I, you know, I wasn't. I don't want to hurt people. I want to be hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought, oh God, so it was me and this politician. Now he's dead, so it's back to just me. I'll just never tell anyone. Because I could see, you know, the 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 coverage of this story was horrible. Yeah. Like you know how newspapers they don't feel so, compassionate. So then, so then that only brought you into feeling more shame and guilt because it's just like, oh, great. Oh there, there's, there's this idiot that, you know, didn't know how to do it right. Who everyone's laughing at, you right. know, if they find out about me, that's what they'll do to me. So I just kept it completely secret, tried to push it all down, like ignore the whole thing. And then when I was 25, I began modeling. And the week that I began modeling, my second ever shoot, the photographer said, oh, do you want to come to a, a gallery after the shoot? I'm going to an exhibition. I I said, yes. Um, and it was a BDSM exhibition. So I just, I walked into a, like, a beautiful London gallery, this really kind of high-end hipster environment. So it all felt not seedy. Yeah. And the walls were just covered in all, all the images in my mind. Um, mm-hmm. And it just, it was the most extraordinary I mean, it was almost like a kind of religious epiphany yeah. because I'd gone from thinking I was all alone in the world with a secret I must never tell anyone to suddenly I was meeting the artists who'd made this work um, and they were inviting me to model for them. And it just this two hours of my life, it changed absolutely everything. And yeah, exactly. It was like finding a tribe of people who who felt the same as me and they didn't feel ashamed of it. Like, you yeah. know, they'd made art of it. And that's yeah. when I started to realize that the power of making art that represents what you find beautiful what you find sexy the power of that is extraordinary and you know i'm in a job that a lot of people really look down on um i notice whenever i write for publications that are fairly conservative socially you know i get this just wave of hate mail going you should shut up just make your money and shut up 
so you know there is this why why would um i mean it because i mean you're modeling why mm. would people is, is it just fatties who can't get jobs or saying that on the other <laughs> i mean uh, these keyboard I, warriors who are like 300 pounds and got dorito dust on their uh you know <laughs> i think what i think it is is that everyone uses porn pretty mm. much i think like more yeah. than 50 of adults um and i i think some people just cannot bear to think of the people who make porn being real people with opinions. So when we mm. step out of their computer screen and start talking about politics or something, I think it makes a lot of people furious because to them, we're not people who should have opinions. Like we're we're body parts. Um, and you know, I'm very determined not to be seen as a collection of body parts because the stuff I shoot comes out of who I am. It, it's not like I'm not a vagina. I'm, a, you know, I'm a, I'm a person with my own sexual identity, which I'm expressing on camera, um, and so it feels like a, it's a job that people don't have much respect for. But actually, to me, it felt like the most valuable thing I could possibly do with my life. If what I want to do is to make people like the teenager I was feel like their sexuality is okay. So I feel like it's kind of, <laughs> I feel like I'm doing this outreach project um, and I, I feel like it should be respected. And obviously mm. socially it's not, but I don't really care because I think it's really valuable. Well, I, my, I think with like, you know, especially in like people who are dominant and people who are submissive, and again, I'm the ignorant guy here. So tell me I'm <laughs> no, wrong. But the people who are dominant, the people who are submissive is kind of really intriguing because it's not just in the sexual realm. In life, we have people who are dominant and submissive. Yeah. There's there's hierarchies. And I yeah. feel like that um, one of my ex-girlfriends uh, was uh, she she also was um, like she was a model and also a stripper. Uh -huh. So she would. Uh -huh. And and, um, and this is like over 10 years ago. And um but but she was talking about people who like who uh oh he's he's just doming from the bottom and I'm like wait what does okay. that mean and <laughs> and I, I learned so much because it's just yeah. like oh wait a second because that applies to life too if you're on if you're at this yeah. like if you're on this job and and in my head I go oh he's just doming from the bottom you know I remember that expression yeah. yes. and it, it's it, and, and there's this Depeche you know the Depeche Mode song Master and Servant. I don't. Oh, no. oh, oh, oh yeah. I'm still catching up with popular culture because one thing that Jehovah's Witnesses, right. we weren't allowed to listen to pop music at all, and I'm still catching up now. I used to, <laughs> I used to sneak. I think music saved my life when I was a teenager because I used to sneak these records, and you know, especially punk rock, where I was just, uh, no. I just, I just flipped out because I was just like, I heard emotions from people screaming that were inside my body. And and then and then the not and then and then reading novels was the next thing where I I was being spoken to yeah and I was just like these are my people because yeah. they're talking about their true selves yeah. but um but it, master and servant it's it's the you and it's I so think, powerful yeah the, it's it is about uh master and servant right and but the beginning of the song goes it's a lot like life and then it goes into it and I'm just like it it oh. is. Yeah, 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 it is. And it's a it's a strange thing because I think whatever, even if I'd not grown up as a Jehovah's Witness, I'm sure my sexuality would be the same because it it's there in my earliest memories. I don't think it could have what been affected by- What if you stayed by... a Jehovah's Witness and you had to tie up your elder husband 
That would be cool. Oh, so confusing. <laughs> but I do. Like, I think I had a harder time coming to terms with it because of the Jehovah's Witness mm. background. One, because, of course, it's very sexually conservative. But two, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses, they are wildly patriarchal. Of course they are. It's very sexist. I mean, the regular Christian church, you know, the, the Church of England, for example, they have updated their opinions on what women should be allowed to do over the last hundred years. And Jehovah's Witnesses, actually, they haven't. I don't, as far as I know, they've not updated women's roles at all since they since their conception. Um, and so I, I'm aware that I grew up in this environment where leadership was male. It was exclusively male. And and honestly, it's been kind of uncomfortable having to come to terms with the fact that sexually, I really want a man to be in charge because, mm, because I don't want men to be in charge. I want to be an empowered woman. And it, it, oh. it, is a, it, it was a bit of a difficult struggle. But then I realized, I mean, it, it's 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 a game like it's a yeah it's a sex game and we might play it as though it's really serious but it is actually just for sexual purposes at least for me and it's one of the things i really don't like occasionally in the bdsm community i do come across people who almost treat it like a religion and it mm -hmm. makes me really uncomfortable when they say when they say things like it made me think of it earlier when you were saying about people who were kind of moving across the country and their wives just had to go with them because they were the man. When I hear people in the BDSM community talk like that, oh, well, yes, she is my slave. No, she's my 24 seven slave and, and she does exactly what I say. And if I want her to grow her hair or have a baby, she'll just do it. And I think, well, that to me sounds like a religion I escaped and I I don't like it at all. Like I- But, but does the woman who is in that position is she is is this like her turn on and this her who she is so she's stoked that someone's taking charge is that the case well, like, i hope so i hope yeah. so if I, if I do hear people talk like that i hope that it's kind of like a, a very all-encompassing fantasy that they're enjoying and the mm -hmm. fact is if you said you know i'm not enjoying this that they would renegotiate that's what i hope but it's certainly i guess it just kind of triggers me to a certain extent because it reminds yeah. me of Jehovah's witnesses and I don't like it. So I have come to terms with it, but I do think honestly, it would have been a lot easier to come to terms with being a dominant woman because then it would have been the opposite of the Jehovah's Witnesses. And I think that would have made me feel like, yeah, I'm, you know, girl power, awesome. And it's been a bit more of a complicated process. But then I think, well, having left the Jehovah's Witnesses, as I said earlier, what I really want to do is just experience all the things I want with the people I love yeah. and, what I want to do is BDSM and a lot of the people I love are BDSM practitioners. So what I do is a whole lot of kinky sex. And that feels like the, the best way of healing from the religious background that we both come from. Um, just so, to so essentially this is my invitation to start getting kinkier. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to, because <laughs> yeah. it just feels like, the Jehovah's Witnesses tried to even control what people in, did in the bedroom, obviously. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, the, and uh, um, I can't remember. Are, are, you're married. Is that right? Yes, I'm ha I'm married to a bondage producer, which is very convenient. Oh, OK. Very cool. So that, so, so, that, so it's not like it's not like you're going off to work and he has no idea what's going on. He's just like, oh, no. well, there goes the ropes again. It's it, yeah, you're <laughs> like, both. I go off to work. And half an hour later, a model will arrive at the house for him to tie up. <laughs> oh, so it's perfect. Equal, which I love. And, 
perfect yeah. and that's that's great yeah um yeah it's so interesting because yeah it, i mean it's uh it, what do you call it i want no i won't get into that that's that's personal stuff that i'll probably be that someone listening will be like hey that's me and i'll be like oh, no <laughs> um <laughs> the um <laughs> so oh okay i didn't know that that's cool i was for some odd reason i was assuming because in my head you grow up a jehovah's witness and then your bdsm model and then for some odd reason i'm assuming that your husband's kind of like a jehovah's witness kind of dude but like going along with it and i don't know why i had that no. i had that thought no. in my head <laughs> no he's a particle physicist who worked at cern and then he left to start bondage photography business and it did really well and so he's one of the first people I worked with when I became a bondage model and we've been working together ever since um and it's a very harmonious and calm lovely non-Jehovah's Witness relationship the, oh is that nice the um <laughs> the uh the oh what oh what was it oh the, the the interest in bondage and uh, yeah I even see like this in San Francisco and Los Angeles that there's yeah there's classes for how to tie ropes and it's just yeah. and it's so more it, it's almost I, I kind of think of it like uh as a new tupperware party do you remember tupperware yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like because tupperware was one of the stupidest things ever it's like let's all meet and, I, and I, you know it's a pyramid scheme but look it, if you put food in there and then now and now yeah. it's like oh let's let's tie rope and then we'll put you in this position and see if you like it yeah yeah, I, I don't work in San Francisco, but I work in Los Angeles a lot. And yeah, there's a great BDSM scene, like much better than the UK, because shooting this stuff, producing it was illegal in our country, while it was legal in yours. So you've oh. got a much older industry, uh, much better established. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's like, America is a great place for the whole BDSM industry. Oh. And it's, I, Wait, it's where, where do you where do you usually shoot in LA? Um, actually, to be honest, it's all, it was always the San Fernando Valley. That's where okay. mm -hmm. all the porn is, I guess, isn't it? Um, yeah. and then people have gradually started spreading outwards as I think maybe people are beginning to get priced out. So actually oh, okay. quite a lot of the original LA producers are in Las Vegas now or in that direction, but there are mm. still some in the San Fernando Valley. Um, and, but also a lot of them have all moved to Florida as well, where I'm assuming tax there's not much tax maybe yeah that's yes yeah there's yeah, oh we can do a whole nother hour on the economy and, <laughs> yeah I'm sure. oh i just i love the one the the blanket statements people say that they've just heard on certain radio shows and i'm just sitting there going do you know how global economy works do you not <laughs> understand this and it's just like you know tax the rich and i'm just like you don't understand what a portfolio, you don't understand what a company is and you don't understand these people are employing, you know, hundreds of thousands of people and yeah. they need to be punished, which I also, it kind of, I mean, there's, yeah, anyway, you, you, you almost really got me started there. I started going into de deregulation and regulation. And I sense it. I sense that we were teetering on the brink. <laughs> <laughs> so, like so, so, um, like what advice do you have for somebody who wants to dabble in BDSM say he's a, say he's a radio show host and he's happens to be talking to you now and he's just like has no clue how to do any of it 
I would say going to a rope class, assuming you're interested in rope, is a great mm. way to do it because it's quite a non-sexual environment. So there aren't any expectations that you're going to have like amazing chemistry. It's a great way to go and actually learn some skills. But mm. in Los Angeles, you've got so many apparently amazing BDSM clubs. I've not actually been to any because I always go to bed at nine o'clock. I'm terrible for that kind of thing. I yeah, I'm I'm not the club guy either. I'm like, okay. do, do you have a BDSM coffee shop? For for <laughs> I've not met one in Los Angeles. There's one in London. Oh, Is there? Oh my yes. god! I'm going to start the BDSM co- cafe. There we do go. It. Do With it. cats too, because they have the cat yes. cafes, and I love Perfect. cats. Just so like cover the, both bases. Yeah. The yeah. cat BDSM cafe with awesome. rope classes and adoption. And dress like a cat. <laughs> <laughs> now that's a good question. Do the does do the B, do the BDSM gangs fight the furry gangs? Ooh, I think so. Probably, yes. Yes. It, it, no, it, actually, uh, let me let me not be so uh, stupid and facetious on that. It, is is that is that something where people look down on other um like like furries and other things and go, oh man, why would you ever do that when we got rope? Yeah, I think that can be a bit mm. of a hierarchy with some people thinking their kinks are a bit cooler than other people's. Oh, um, okay. My kink so- is cooler than yours. Yeah. So in the USA, you have these amazing conventions because there's enough of you that you can. So I was at a spanking convention in Texas Oh, um, where they took over a whole hotel because there's so many. There's so many of you. It's amazing. The first time I went to one, I cried because the feeling of just being surrounded by people who were like me and you Uh can just hear spanking coming out of spanking noises coming out of all the rooms amazing Um, and my friend who I was with asked one of the members of staff like one of the waiting staff she said like is this really weird um and they were like not really we have we had furries at a convention last week (laughs) and I just loved the idea that all these different kind of marginalized groups are taking it in turns to take over a whole hotel and surround themselves with people who are like them it's lovely I don't think I'd call furries marginalized. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. You know what we used to do to the furries? (laughs) When we colonized colonized the furries, they were just... (laughs) I just, I'm aware that, you know, when I tell people I'm a BDSM model... A lot of people don't know what it is, but some people think it's quite cool. Whereas, if yeah, I, was... I don't know what it is, and I, I was just like, oh, that's cool. That's it's it's, probably cool. it's, yeah. it's like I feel like a freshman in high school, and you guys are the seniors. That's like I like that idea very much. Um, but you know, if I had to tell people I was into diapers, you know, I feel like people wouldn't think that was cool. So I think no, and I a... don't think that's cool. That's just next level weird. I know people are into diapers and if you're into diapers, I don't apologize. I like offending sometimes. So, okay, you go, you go ahead, <laughs> but certainly you got to yeah. do another poo before we have sex again. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm certainly having thought I was really, really unusual in my fetish and then realizing I wasn't. Yeah. I'm very pathetic towards people who have grown up thinking they were really unusual and have actually as adults realized yeah i really am unusual like what i'm into genuinely is very it's very hard to find people who are into it because as it happens that's not been the case for me 
as a submissive woman, there are loads of dominant men who want to spank me. It's it's really nice. It makes you feel really wanted. But yeah, if I was into something more marginal, I know that wouldn't be the case. Or if I was a submissive man, because there's a massive oversupply of them as far as I can see and nowhere near enough dominant women to go round. So a lot of them are, well, they have to pay to get sessions. Um, which obviously isn't a bad thing in itself, but it can't make you feel great if the only way to engage with your kink is to pay someone to do it with you. Um, you know, yeah. ideally, no one would have to do I'm that. I'm swiping through Bumble and spot this hot guy this? who's a foodie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are, you, are, you, are, you, are you trying to put an ad into... <laughs> so, sorry, hang on. Wings. He replies saying, I do not know where this is 100%. coming from. Oh my God. Find them on sorry. Like, bear with me and I will... Okay, okay, I found it. Sorry. There we go. Brought to you by Bumble. Um, No, it was like, I was going to ask you something else. Um, Um, I just said about people being, like, some people having such unusual sexualities oh yeah yeah well i was gonna tell you like with with all my romantic partners um you know after jehovah's witness wife spanking's always been a part of the whole game in the in the bedroom and it's all oh oh, yeah i mean i i i'm a good spanker and it's just and i I would like i would kind of bring it in and be like whack and and it would just be like do it again and (laughs) so i yeah i do have this you have a kink yeah, I do. I do yeah. like. I I, I I have no I have no problem getting aggressive, and then when I feel okay. and when I hear it going, you know, it, I just get a little aggressive, and then I want to hear the oh yeah, and then I go yeah. and then more yeah more totally. okay you know so. Excellent, excellent. Oh, and then <laughs> one of my cool. really good friends, she wrote a book called "I Was a Teenage Dominatrix," and so she's taught me a lot about being a dom as well so it's uh, yeah. fantastic okay so you're not quite as baffled by bdsm as you thought you were i'm realizing after this interview i'm not i mean i'm, I'm baffled but i'm le- i don't really i didn't i'm a little i'm less baffled than i thought i was like i'm okay. baffled in general but on this on this I'm, i feel all right and i like i'm equally into bondage and spanking but i do think spanking is a lot easier because you don't need to learn so much to get started whereas with bondage there is quite a lot of actual technique before you can even do anything basic. So yeah, spanking's right. a great one. I but- just, but the thing about spanking though, is whenever I do it at the grocery store, I usually get in trouble. That is true, but that would be the same with bondage. So watch out. <laughs> Bring a rope to a grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> just be careful. <laughs> yeah, Ariel, thank you for coming on the show. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's really nice to talk to another ex-Jehovah's Witness, who who is having a happy libertarian life doing what they want. Just lay your head in daddy's lap, your bad girl.
You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz. <laughs> 